this is Radio TFS, episode number 23, Ed Blankenship on using TFS. Hi, this is Martin Woodward, and uh, today we've got a, a special show. I'm just sitting down and having a quick chat with um, a good friend of mine, Ed Blankenship, and we're going to talk about um, Ed's experiences using Team Foundation Server in his company. So, hi, Ed. Hey, how's it going, Martin? Good. Thank, thanks for joining me on this episode. Oh, it's it's my privilege. I, I love the show, so it was, it's really exciting to be a part of it. Cool. Well, uh, hopefully the magic won't be lost too much on you now you've been on it. <laughs> no, I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, why don't you just uh, explain, you know, for people who don't know who you are and, you know, who you work for and what you do there? Yeah, sure. So um, I, I work for Infragistics, and um, I guess my technical title is the Release Engineering Manager. So I manage um, our Release Engineering Department, um, which which our main our main duty is um, to keep TFS healthy at Infragistics, our internal instance. Um, and, and we do some other things like uh, everything around TFS, so work item tracking, builds, version control. Um, we build the installers and setup. We handle some licensing enforcement and some IP protection issues like patents and copyrights and, and all that kind of stuff. But um, our, our big thing is, is just keeping TFS up and going and builds and um, the release process. So that's what we do at Infragistics. Cool. And is it, does it take much work to keep TFS healthy? <laughs> TFS uh, needs some love <laughs> at times, but uh, really there, um, we have a whole team so uh, that manages that. And the, the reason being is, is we really use TFS heavily. Um, all of the different features across team system um, and they're all integrated and we've got some custom integrations that I'm sure we'll talk about in our interview today, but, but really it's, it's, um, all the release engineers on the team handle different products and the builds and the version control and managing the releases for those products. Um, but together we, we maintain a, a fairly, uh, we've got about 20 servers in the, in the production environment. So it's, it's, it, it takes some love and in keeping it performing across the world is, uh, it is a day-to-day job for us. So, so you talked about 20 servers. That's not, that's not 20 like TFS, application tiers is it no 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 it's it's one instance um it, it's uh our biggest service is the application tier and a data tier they're separate um but a majority of them are our build servers and in related servers that manage kind of our integrations between other systems so yeah no no no, no. there's not 20 instances it's just uh one one big environment of a lot of different servers so Cool. I was just I was just worrying then. Yeah, I, I was talking to uh, Grant Holiday the other week and talking oh, about Microsoft yeah. since I don't think they have that many. So I was thinking, crikey. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no. Um, they've got a few, but but uh, yeah, they're build servers. I, I know they're not using Team Build, but um, if if they added all their like Build Labs and all those build servers, and they've got a lot more than we do. So <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I'm interested in. Do you need to do much to actually? like TFS's databases to keep it running, you know, like maintenance jobs and things? Or is it mostly helping teams use TFS and, like, fixing, you know, like version control issues and branching issues for them, that sort of thing? Yeah, so um, we we have a little bit of day-to-day maintenance and love. I call it just giving it some love. Um, it, not so much anymore. We upgraded our data tier to SQL Server 2008, so that's given us... Um, oh, and we... we bought the upgrade to enterprise edition. So it's given us online re-indexing and, 
and things like that. Um, I, I mean, I, I always joke because we have about 175 recent users and a recent user is um, someone who's used the system within the last seven days. Um, but it, it's so funny because our it's not a really large instance. Not, I mean, surely not as big as like the DevDiv instance at Microsoft. But we seem to put a lot of load on the server itself for some reason. I'm not. I haven't. I'm not quite sure yet why. <laughs> like what our users are doing that put more load on it. But I guess we're kind of not the standard development team um, out there. So. But it, it does take some some monitoring and checking. We, we use uh, we just talked about Grant, um, his performance report pack, and Grant and I talk quite a bit about um, different performance issues. But um, we're able to see you know things that are happening on the server um, using those reports, and it, it's really like I, it, I feel like a cardiologist sometimes looking at like like EKGs just to see spikes and you know what happened at. 3 a.m., you know, to cause this spike and that kind of thing. So, uh, and, and a lot of it, our team is doing support um, of all of our internal users for, like you said, you know, version control issues and things like, and training. And um, we do a lot of the support requests for, for even issues in, like, Visual Studio and compilation and stuff like that. So, um, so why don't you bit... explain, you know, this, this team you've got that are using TFS heavily, when you explain kind of, a lot of a lot of people listening to this are probably customers of Infragistics, so they're quite aware of the you know some of the products you do. Would you want to explain like your development team and how they're geographically distributed, that sort of thing? Oh yeah, yeah. So one of the interesting um, parts is is that we have to keep TFS up running twenty four seven because of our our global company. Um, yeah. So let's see. Let's go through the list of all of our different offices around the world. We've got um, our main office, our corporate office is in Princeton, New Jersey. Um, we've got a development group up in Long Island, New York. And then moving across the world, we've got um, uh, a development team down in Uruguay. Uh, wow. we have an office, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we have an office in London. We have a development group, a big development shop now in, in Bulgaria. Uh, we've got an office in India with with some testers and salespeople, um, and then another one is is our office in Tokyo, Japan. We've got um, we localize our product actually in one other language, and that's in Japanese right now. Um, so we've got some of our localization engineers over there in Japan, uh, but they also do sales out of that office too. So it's it's really <laughs> we've got a, and it's a mixture. So we've got developers in a lot of those different places. We have testers in, in a lot of those places. Um, some of the product teams are split up. So, you know, we might have some developers and testers in Bulgaria, but another half of the team might be in the U.S. as well. Um, so really, it's like, a. I mean, the, the TFS server is getting hit constantly, you know, from the, the beginning of the business day um, in Tokyo all the way to the end of the business day for anyone in the U.S. Um, we, we do actually have some people in the Pacific um, in on the west coast as well, so it's like <laughs> it's a it's an interesting thing, and that that leaves us to a, a small maintenance window anytime we have to actually do stuff with TFS and bring it offline. I think we only have a few hours on Saturday afternoon. <laughs> wow, we can do stuff. Um, we, we we haven't had to do much lately, but uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting. Um, it, we've got to keep it running, you know. When you talk about things like nightly builds, you know who, what night 
well, you know, which, which <laughs> <power. laughs> so we've got to balance the builds and, um, it, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting scenario to support. So, <laughs> and you found it's, it's worked all right with all the different time zones and things. I mean, where, where's your actual TFS instance at? Where's that physically located? Oh, great question. We've got, um, it's, it's in Princeton, New Jersey, um, in the headquarters. Right at headquarters, so everything is is um, all the time zone stamps and stuff. Well, they're all UTC, but um, they're in it's Eastern time zone for okay. us. So, yep. Oh, and just, just and do you use the so you know there's the version control proxy for uh, proxy yes. things in remote offices? Do you use that at all yet? Um, so uh, that's an interesting one. Um, we, it's actually working really well for us um, globally. We haven't had to put a proxy server in any of the the um, remote locations yet because I mean that I, I asked them quite a bit. I'm like, Hey, do you think we need a proxy server? I, I would like to get us a proxy server in several places um, just to offload some of those download requests off the application tier. But um, we do have a proxy server, but um, our, our users actually don't use it. It's really for our build servers <laughs> um, mm. to offload all that, all that traffic off of the application tier to keep it, up and running but um and it's funny because that that um that proxy server has a cache hit rate of 99.79 percent it's quite cool so so um, yeah just to explain to listeners the proxy server is a thing to to cache you know version control accesses and it'll cache files that are downloaded from version control which is obviously great you know in the remote office scenarios and that's kind of what it was designed for you know for you think the guys in bulgaria rather than having to pull down the files over the wide area network all the time, being able to get them locally would be a huge performance improvement for those guys. But in the build lab, it obviously, you know, because it's doing lots of gets from the server all the time and very, very, very aggressively as well, especially if you've got continuous integration switch on, you know, it, it's, it, it can save a lot of resources just by deploying it into the build environment as well. Is that how you found it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am a... Pr- performance hawk i i keep an eye on the on our instance uh it's a it's a daily routine for me just um and i noticed that a lot of a lot of the traffic and a lot of the time spent um on the application tier um so if you don't have activity logging um turned on you absolutely need to get to it and i, I believe it's it's default in 2008 but if you're using a 2005 server be sure to turn on activity logging um but that's how i, I you know, monitoring the activity logging database and seeing how much time is spent on different things. I've noticed um, a while back that, you know, a lot of that time is really spent on on these download requests for, for the builds. And I was like, you know what? It sounds like it's it's time for us to get a, a proxy server just for the build environment. And actually, it's, it's, it's increased the performance of our AT dramatically um, just by offloading that stuff to a proxy server. So it's quite cool. Wow, cool! And all these are all these physical servers then, or virtualized, or what? Yeah. So um, our our new environment today. I'm sure we'll talk about our old environment a little bit later. But um, uh, our data tier is is absolutely physical, um, bare metal, everything. Uh, our application tier is actually virtualized. Um, we do that for some backup and recovery reasons, um, and then the. The build servers, there's a mixture um, of 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 each. We've got some physical, we've got several physical servers, and then we've got several 
virtual servers and I actually need to put in a PO for some more physical build servers. But, uh, and it really just depends on um, what the use of that, that build server is going to be. For, for example, um, if like we have two examples, um, we have a new product um, for SharePoint web parts and making our, our controls uh, are specifically our Silverlight, like data visualization controls work inside of SharePoint web parts. So you don't have to build the web parts themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but we noticed that that, that requires um, like full-blown SharePoint Moss installed on the build server. So um, like we spun up a virtual build machine um, just for that because we don't want to have to install SharePoint on every single build server. Um, and then the other thing is uh, we're, we work very closely with Microsoft um, with, um, with several things. We're in part of several taps. Um, and one of those is, is Silverlight. So we have um, some private builds of Silverlight 3 internally so that we, we have our controls ready to go whenever Silverlight 3 releases. Um, but I didn't feel comfortable putting those beta bits on all the rest of the build servers. So we'll spin up special instances during those cases. So some of them are virtual, some of them are physical. It just depends on what they'll be used for. Our automated testing build servers are, are, are virtual too. So Makes sense. And yep. just to I, just to do my uh, acronym watch tap for the people listening is a <laughs> Microsoft program, technolo- Technology Adopter Program. And basically yep. it's a formal scheme that Microsoft do uh, with early adopter companies to try and get them using stuff and to help them use stuff. So both Ed and I are, on, are in tap for Visual Studio and you, you do tap at Infragistics with other product groups then as well, I hear. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we, we're very um, bleeding edge and we have to keep up with things so that um, our customers who are early adopters of Microsoft are supported from day one, you know, with, with our product. So, yeah, totally. Um, so, Hey, let's change gears a bit. Um, yeah. You've been around, you know, I've known you for a long time with team foundation server and you know, I know you through the MVP program, um, especially uh, as well as a customer of ours. Um, but what, yeah. what made you, um, what made you choose team foundation server for Infogistics? What were you using before and, you know, why choose TFS? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. So um, the history, so I've been at Infragistics almost about three years now. Um, and really, uh, so I was brought in as a, as a WinForms and WPF evangelist. Oh, that's right, because, yeah, you were a WPF MVP. Is that right? Is that where I'm yeah, originally I was, from? Yeah. I first started as a WPF MVP, although I, I have been with TFS and Team System since beta 2 of 2005. Okay. Um, so it's been a while. And before I was at Infragistics, I was an ALM consultant for most of that time. So, ah, so you cheated. <laughs> I cheated. I, I went to Infragistics uh, for, for uh, I guess that was my entrance into Infragistics, was being the WPF and WinForms guy. Um, but that was okay, because um, I, I also knew that that uh, there was a evaluation um, going on at Infragistics about changing our systems internally. Uh, so I was like, oh, you know, I, I'm a TFS guy. I'm going to be brought in, and and um, we'll be able to leverage my TFS knowledge. Um, but that that so what we did was um, while I was a WinForms and WPF guy, um, we were working on we call them reference applications. Uh, so they're just basically like applications that we build with our controls and release the source code and write documentation so that people can learn how to use the different platforms and then also our controls in the mm-hmm. same environment. But I was working on one of those product projects. Um, it's called Tangerine. Uh, it, it was released um, and we were in our evaluation phase. So um, actually the, the best way that I thought um, 
to bring team system to a company is to start with a small pro- project. Um, and that way you're able to uh, basically do a proof of concept. And so we did that with, with the Tangerine product. Um, I was just like, let's get a TFS server set up and we'll start with that. And then um, over those few months, uh, we did we did a formal evaluation across several different products. Um, we ended up choosing TFS because, well, we, we had the Microsoft guys come in and everything, but really the proof of concept was really helpful. But the other products we were comparing against, um, we noticed that we were going to have to integrate it between things. So like version control and work item tracking and bug tracking and and builds, we would have to like build the integration pieces with each of them. And, you know, that just comes out of the box in TFS. We're, you know, we weren't going to have to spend resources on trying to integrate them. Um, you, you know, we're going to spend resources on actually building our product. That's, that's what we need to be doing. Uh-huh. Um, but also it felt like the other products, and I've been through these competitive analysis analyses before, but it felt like, you know, like the rational products and the clear case and clear quest, and they're very heavy. Um, and yeah. that's okay for, for several, you know, lots of organizations out there. I mean, it's okay um, to have something like that, but it didn't make sense for a majority of, of, you know, uh, instances out there. It's, it was the lightweight part of it that was, that was compelling to us. And then also we, we're a Microsoft Gold partner, and we're very, you know, our, our partnership with Microsoft is very strong. So we wanted to be a good partner as well, and so we adopted Team System. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with you because I I used to do, you know, of ALM work before I came to uh, Team Prize and things, and a lot of the other products tended to kind of force a, a particular way of working on you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whereas Microsoft did, you know, did classic Microsoft, and you know. Ah, uh, work how you want to work. Use as little as you want to use. You know what I mean? We're good. Just use us for some parts. And it kind of gets hooked. You kind of get hooked on the thing that's causing you the most pain, you know, like work <laughs> items or source control. And then from there, you just gradually start using more and more of a product term because you don't have to pay any more for it once, you, once you've once you got it in sort of thing. Exactly. And, I mean, that's exactly um, – you, you just described a little bit about how, how we implemented TFS at, at Infragistics was mm. – um, so back to your original question was, um, what did we use before that? Um, mm. We actually had, uh, we used SourceSafe. So each product team had their own SourceSafe database. And okay. Was- Over the wide area network or, oh, or had them locally? Yes, yes. So it was over the WAN. Um, so that was that was some of the pain. The company was going through growing pains at the time. And we started, you know, we were expanding globally and, we started to see that SourceSafe was not going to be the best <laughs> solution for us. Um, not when you're running more than one time zone, anyway. <laughs> oh yes, yes. So I mean that that was that was um, one of those things that we wanted to do. So our first phase was to move away from version control and then um, team build. So we, we did build and version control at the same time. We actually had a homegrown build system internally. Mm. Um, yeah, it just end of end of life to like a few months ago. It was a very happy occasion. Um, cool. <laughs> but uh, but we really that first phase was important for us because um, you know we have one VSS database per product, um, and we've got quite a few products. Oh, I forget um, our Java product was on Subversion, 
as well. So um, a lot of people don't know that we actually have a Java team. We build we build Java controls as well. Um, but it was important at during that that phase of Infradistics growth that um, we kind of standardize how we were engineering our products because each team was doing their their own way of branching and merging and they had their own VSS database. They had their own release process. And I mean, even the Java team had their own like separate systems that, that we were maintaining. And you, we were getting to a point where it, it made sense. We have these shared engineering teams that work on several different products. They're just shared resources, like our visual design team and um, my team, the release team and, the localization team. So it, it made sense for us to kind of standardize. So okay. one of the first things we did um, was just identify how, how you know, what our requirements were for branching and merging and how we wanted to organize the source. And we just want to consolidate it all into one server. So we did a lot of that work. And, and <laughs> it's quite painful <laughs> being the facilitator of all that because um, you want buy-in as well. Uh, when you're when you're adopting a new system, um, so I took the approach of of bringing in everyone who's affected by this, and, and you know when you bring in more people, uh, it's it's tough to come to a consensus together. Mm-hmm. But I think that's really important for um, when you're adopting a new system is is to at least attempt to try to get that buy-in. Um, I think so. Was- One of the problems I see I see a lot though is that. People have these very grand plans on what they want to do with this new functionality they bought, you know, in TFS, and yeah. they try and do it as they're training everybody to use TFS at the same time. <laughs> you know what I mean? And people then hate it, hate the tool because of the new process. Because you know, rather than just let, introducing the tool and then changing the process, or change, you know, you know what I mean? It, it's it's hard to do both things at the same time. Absolutely. So, I mean. We spent, I guess, um, probably about two months before we ever did a migration of of source control, um, and it, just identifying, you know, and we really needed to do this with branching and merging because some of the teams really weren't um, using best practices for their branching and merging schemes. Um, so it was really helpful. Um, one of the nice things was that the Java team, with their completely separate, um, you know, systems and processes, we were actually able to bring them into the fold as the rest of our .NET teams um, at, using TeamPrice, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was really one of those big wins for us is, you know, we're all in the same thing. We can uh, report using the same system. And, you know, it was just really nice. Um, but I felt I felt like, it, of course, there was still that that pain internally when we, when we switched over. We just migrated all of our source systems into the new, into TFS. There's still pain internally, and people, you know, kind of gripe because nobody likes to change. Um, but after a while, I, I really feel like the investment that we put in by trying to get buy-in from everyone and trying to explain things like, um, you know, we have two check-in policies enabled on our product team projects. Um, okay. It, it's the work item association one and the yeah. chain set comments. Okay, yeah, and, perfectly valid ones, if, in, in my opinion. There's a lot of people abuse checking policies, as you know. But uh, yeah, they're, they're too oh, funny. yes, yes. You had a nice little blog post about that. So, yeah, should link um, I agree, yeah. So, so you want it, You only want to put in the ones that make sense. But uh, another key thing I think that you pointed out in your article that we also did um, during training is is making sure people understand why. Um, why do we have those checking policies? I mean, people griped about it so many times and... <laughs> 
And it's like, no, there's a reason behind that. And, and, you know, once, once people started seeing that, like, you know, with the work item one, um, you know, the, the traceability all the way down to the builds and the builds like automatically updating the resolved in build for the work item. You know, once people saw that, they were like, oh, you know, it makes sense. It starts clicking. So um, I think I think to be successful, you you want to try to to inform people about why certain things are done different ways. So, so you seem to have quite a sort of formal um you know, training and rollout process when you were doing this. What sort of training did you do with people? How much training did new people need in the tool? Yeah, so, um, well, version control. Uh, so we had two different phases. Uh, the first phase was was version control and builds. Um, so that was quite a bit of a big phase for us. And then the second phase was work item tracking. But each of those phases, um, I basically took a week of my time and set up two-hour blocks with each team. Um, to go over training. So like the version control stuff, um, since a lot of people were, were source safe users, uh, it was just time spent on like teaching people about workspaces and, and um, basically converting their source safe mentality to, you know, working in TFS and making sure people understand like, you know, you shouldn't make changes outside of what TFS knows about, you know, because of the mm-hmm. workspace issue. Mm-hmm. Um but also, since we were changing our branching and merging strategy and some of our release stuff, um, we went through, like, you know, what we had to teach our new branching and merging strategy just to make sure everyone understood it. So we, we did two-hour sessions initially. Um, and then, like, over the next few months, um, some of the teams had, had approached me and said, hey, you know, can we take take some of your time and get together as a team and, and go over some issues we've seen and, and you know, how do, how do we do this best and you know, a lot of people were having to do merging and stuff like that. So um, we just, it was very ad hoc after that, but I did spend a whole, that was a busy week uh, with each team. So that was an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, but even that, I mean, you know, a couple of hours sort of thing for each group of people. It's, it's not a huge amount of training for them. And it sounds like some of that wasn't just all about using the tool, but it was about, you know, how to, how you want them to use the tool. Absolutely. And and we, um, one of the, so this is one of my little pet peeves is I like to have source code um, very organized in the system. <laughs> so one of them was what's going through, like how we organize our source code now. And, you know, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. So, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of those little things is a, a little bit of how to use a tool and a little bit about our intern process. So cool. Aloha. This is Jeff McPherson, Dr. Tiki from Tiki Bar TV. Whenever I worry about how I'm going to learn all that crazy computery goodness in Visual Studio Team System 2010, I listen to Radio TFS with Martin, Paul, and Mickey. Cheers, guys. Take it away. Yep. Now, um, at the um, we recently had a, an MVP summit that I saw you at. And um, at the MVP summit, one of uh, my highlights of the whole summit actually was, um, you know, when all the MVPs got together on the day before the summit and just sort of shared stories. You remember oh, that? Yeah. yeah. Um, now was- you you talked about um, you you talked about an interesting integration you guys had done between you know Microsoft CRM and TFS. Uh, have you got, yeah. If you if you wouldn't mind explaining some of that to us, I think people would find that interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was that has been the funnest um, phase of impl- team system implementation at, at Infragistic. So, okay, so we we did our first phase of version control and team build, and then um, uh, 
we moved on to our second phase, which was going to be bug tracking. Um, we used Serena TeamTrack as our bug tracking system before this. Um, but so we noticed we, we did the same kind of planning. Um, and this one didn't just take two months. This one actually took about six months of planning um, just because of this integration with it. But we noticed as we were first reducing, we had like 20 states in our bug um, in Serena team track. And it was just like, oh, crazy. Let's let's reduce this down. So that was the first thing. We, we talked with every team that, that gets involved with bug tracking um, and try to see what our pain points and, you know, what things were working, what things aren't working. Um, but the one thing that we noticed very, very quickly was that there's this really strong relationship between the bugs that engineering manages and the support cases that our developer support team are getting from customers. Um, so it was it was an interesting, like, aha moment for us where we were like, and during this time, um, our IT department was building this new case management system um, that was built on Microsoft CRM so that we're storing support cases in the CRM system, which is the same system that we use for things like sales and, and um, product management, so that anyone in the company can pull up a customer and see like a 360 view of that customer. They can see all the emails that have been sent to the customer, you know, no matter which department sent them. Um, so, so you get a kind of good view. So if a product manager is going to go visit um, a, a customer of ours, they'll be able to see kind of the history of them. Totally. But so, I mean, that would be really useful here at TeamPrize. I mean, one of my, my boss, Corey, has just been on a tour around Europe, you know, talking with various customers, and it would have been great for him if he could, before he walks in in the morning, know exactly every single contact we've ever had with that customer and uh, what, what current bugs we've got and what the state of those bugs are in TFS <laughs> that, that customer reported. It's it's infinitely um, valuable to us as a company to have that 360 view before we we interact. And, and I mean, we can we can do some preemptive stuff. So if someone's really like an early adopter and they're finding lots of stuff, um, we can take some preemptive action. And say, hey, you know, we were really appreciate it. Um, you know, let let's um, you know we're able to to really manage that relationship a lot better with with yeah, Microsoft CR. Yeah, so, um, but the other problem was um, in Serena TeamTrack, we were having to open a bug for each support case. Um, and sometimes, you know, uh, we'll release a product and then let's say like 15 customers report the same bug. So we have like 15, there would be 14 duplicate bugs in the <laughs> in our bug tracking system. Yeah. So it kind of messes up metrics. So what we designed was a way for, um, there's a there's now a many-to-many -many relationship between the bugs in 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 engineering in the TFS server and the support cases that are in CRM. And this is really nice. Um, there's two ways of this integration. So I'll talk about the integration from TFS to CRM first. Um, but like things like, um, let's say uh, we resolve a bug as like cannot reproduce or we, um, we release, we go from awaiting a release to close um, for a bug. We're actually able to um, watch for those events uh, on TFS and then actually go and update the related support cases for those. So if we released um, a fix for, for a bug, we go through all the support cases and say, hey, you know, um, we send the customers an email. And, hey, you know, your, your support case has been resolved. We have a fix. Here's the link to that service release. Oh, cool. Uh, go download it. Yeah. And then we put it in a state um, to where 
in a few days, it'll automatically show up in the developer support engineers queue again to to kind of talk with the customer and, and make sure that the that fix actually did resolve their bug. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. so um, and and things like like the cannot reproduce. Um, there's several different um, actions it, in the workflow, but like the cannot reproduce one, we'll we'll put it in a state where the developer support engineer can contact the customer to get more details and you know the repro steps and things like that. So it's a quite cool interaction um, th- that direction. So that just works by listening to the TFS events and then doing things over in CRM based on events that get fired by the TFS eventing service. Is that how that works under the hood? Absolutely. So I have a I have a WCF service layer that um, listens to for this one in particular. It's the work item changed event, and it, it's just some .NET code that you know we we get notified of a of a change of a work item, and then we do some simple checks like is it a bug, you know that kind of thing. Um, and then we we just call our our internal WCF service layer for the 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 CRM events kind of thing. So oh cool. So CRM exposes web services as well, does it? That you can talk to. They do, but um, so the the customization inside of CRM they've they've like the IT department has, has modified the way the support case works, and there's quite a few modifications. So we actually call it uh, they the IT department built a service layer to expose some things like um, we'll call it, we'll call it a service that's called like resolve bug. And, you know, we'll give it details and it, it, they actually may um, manage what happens from that point. In the yeah, CRM. that makes sense. And then so, you can use all the CRM's programming model to do that, but you can expose exactly. it. They're a, a well-known interface. that doesn't change sort of thing. Exactly. So, so um, between, uh, cause we have several departments that maintain all of this. Um, so my team maintains all the TFS service layers. Um, so we, we just, we, it made sense for um, my team to expose the things that they needed and, and um, their team to expose the things that we needed. It, 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 it's really nice. Um, it, it kind of abstracts, you know, all the, the specific details. I actually don't know much of about the CRM side of <laughs> of what actually went on. But uh, well, the, um, the, custom, the customer itself and the support case, that's data that lives over in CRM world, is it? Whereas it's bug in the TFS world. Yeah, absolutely. And so we did make this decision. There, there is a way to create custom links inside of TFS, but we kind of... Um, and and this is a much bigger decision than just this integration. But we decided that um, TFS doesn't want we don't want TFS to know anything about a customer. Um, that's that's for the customer system. So so all of the links between the support cases and the bugs are all stored inside of um, in, inside of CRM in a custom linking database table. Okay. Yeah. So um, so TFS really doesn't know anything about a customer. Um, and, and we also, we, we put that down into our bug tracking process as well. So things like, um, we don't want to talk about a, a specific customer inside of any of the, the bug fields because, um, we may or may not do this, but, uh, we, we've, we've designed it in a way that, um, we can expose, um, our public bugs. I'll talk about that in a minute, but we we can expose our public bugs on the website. And I think the first implementation of, of that is being able to search our public bugs on the website. Um, so we, we just want to be careful. We don't want to, we don't want to have a leak of, of customers, private information in, in those kinds of, you know, uh, public arenas that, okay. that would be pretty bad. So, 
we just came up with this idea of, of you know what, customer information gets stored in the customer system, um, engineering information gets stored in TFS. Um, and, and so we do have a new concept in our bug tracking system. There's a visibility field at the very top, um, and it's either public or internal. So um, bugs that are found like by support cases or from people on the forums, um, those are public, and all the rest of the bugs that we have are, are found internally, so we keep it internal. So, like, if you found a security issue, you would, you know, have it private, and then, you know, until it was fixed, sort of thing. Exactly, or, or things that we find um, during a release process. So, we're working on 2009 Volume Two. All the the bugs that QA finds, those are all internal. Uh, of course, yeah, bugs which wouldn't make sense to a customer yet because they're not in the product they own yet. So. Exactly, exactly. So, one of the nice things about um, the public bug search is, is being able to find a bug, and then if we've released um, a service release that has that fix in it, you can see which which release um, which service release that was in. So, so. so what if a developer's looking at a bug and they need to go back and you know, contact the customer because they need some more information? How, how would that work? Yeah. So that is the other cool part about it. So we, we talked about the um, the one-way um, integration from TFS to CRM, how it talks. Yeah, to CRM. CRM owns the, knows which bugs are linked to a support case. So I can see how it would kind of work that way. But I was just wondering how you, how you get back the other way if you needed to. Yeah, so I'm a big fan of bringing the information that um, a developer needs into the environment that they're in, so in the IDE. So um, we, we built a custom work item control. Oh. Uh, yeah, that, that basically um, calls the CRM services, um, the, those WCF services that I was mentioning, and it actually says, hey, here's the bug ID I'm in, and um, pull back all the customer uh, support cases. So in this, like, work item, um, this work item control, you can see all the cases that are related to it. Um, you can see different, uh, we pulled in only the details that would matter to someone who's inside of TFS. Um, so things like uh, like repro steps for that actual case, um, any of the case attachments that a customer may have attached to the case. Um, let's see, just just, um, just general customer information. So like um, one of the we, we didn't know that this would happen, but some, some of the developers have been actually using that contact information to go back to the original customer, you know, bypassing developer support and saying, hey, um, we're working on your bug. Um, we just have a few questions for you. Just needed to, to talk about it a little bit. So um, that's one of those by, byproducts of, of having that information available inside that. And then if, if the developer doesn't have the information that they need, um, there's a quick little button that says open case and it'll open the whole CRM case um, in a separate uh, web web browser. So um, it's quite cool. Uh, and and that's all being done by a custom work item control. So how have you found the, because I know um, one of the problems that people hit when they do custom work item controls is um, de- well, two problems really. De- <laughs> deploying them out to everybody in the company and also making them available on all the clients they might use. So, for instance, web access as well as... Oh, yes. So what, what have you done? First of all, what have you done in deployment space? And then what have you done about web access? Yeah, so um, the deployment space is really cool for us. Um, we noticed that... Uh, so there, there's a lot of things that we... Um, so one of the things that, that my team also manages is um, what we call our internal tool suite. It's just basically a collection of different productivity tools that people own and, and we just package them together and, and we deploy them out to 
everyone's machine. But we identified that as a good place to put all the custom stuff that you have to deploy to everything. So things like work item controls and check-in policies and custom code analysis rules and, oh, that, that global spelling dictionary that code analysis uses to do spell checking stuff. We actually Oh, cool. Uh, so we maintain a global version at Infrodistics. Um, and then anytime someone uh, updates that, that dictionary and version control, you know, the, a new build starts and a new internal tool suite installer happens. Nice. Things like the build tasks. So all of our custom build tasks and our common targets files and things like that. Um, so it just wraps everything that's custom into this small little installer. And then people just use that installer. But it's also a way we have so many build servers um, that we actually uh, manage how we get build tasks and stuff out there. Um, so that's how we manage keeping that updated. And, and people are notified whenever there's an update so they can quickly get a new, you know, just just click off the new MSI and it'll update their off local. Off the drop location from the build sort of thing. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, so it's a, it's and so we did identify that was one of those you know downsides of of custom work item controls and I think there is actually a new story so um, the latest version of the Power Tool Suite will actually let you store um, like check in policies and custom work item controls in version control and um, pull those pull those down um, so I think that's the new story but we've had this existing story in place um, so we still like to use it especially since it's packaged with with our custom internal tools that we manage. So, hmm. so cool. what do you do about web access then? Do you, did you have a custom yeah. for the web access or do you just use a different form for web access? Yeah. So um, that was one of the, and, and team price, team price and web yeah, access. Team price doesn't do custom controls yet. Right. Um, in web access, we didn't feel uh, that having that available in the web access environment was, was worth the time investment to do a web forms control. Um, so basically people just see that red box. I, we could actually do a different form in the wit definition, but, um, that would be the only difference. So we just said, you know what, uh, if you want to use the support cases tab with that custom work item control, you just do it inside of, um, inside of team Explorer. So. Okay. Yeah. I mean, both uh, all the clients for TFS, you, you know, the, if there's a custom control, they don't know about the kind of render it as a little red error box, like you say, and you know, yep. It's kind of clear that something's not working on the form. But. Yep. So it, it's worked fine for us. I, I mean, we've had some complaints, but everyone's got Team Explorer installed on their their machine if they're using TFS. So it just it just made sense. Um, okay. And it's one of those tough calls, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Now I've got some notes. There's one thing um, you said you wanted to come back to later, and we were talking about. Um, if things if if everything was virtualized or physical and you said there was something you wanted to come back to later there what oh yes yes so um i was talking about our old environment we actually um this is our new environment that we've been on it's been very stable for a little over a year and a half now um but very early on after our first phase of implementation um we, I, I like to call it the great TFS disaster of 2008. <laughs> this doesn't sound good. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it was really a terrible time for me personally. Uh, but but um, uh, our original um, environment was, it was all virtualized, even the data tier um, in, in VMware um, with SQL Server 2005. And at the time, SQL Server wasn't supported in a VMware environment because VMware wasn't a virtualization partner with, with um, Microsoft. But we, 
we ended up showing a slow data leak um, of, of some data. And just not to go into a whole bunch of details, um, it ended up being because uh, the virtualization stack, um, we had some, one, we were putting so much load on that server um, that the, the, so SQL Server, so TFS application tier talks to SQL Server, and SQL Server says, write these bits down, and it tells the operating system, write those bits down, and then the operating system has to talk to the virtualization I.O. layer, and then that layer is supposed to talk to the, the actual spindles, the hard disk spindles. Mm-hmm. And, but um, for some reason, uh, um, they, they, <laughs> it wasn't writing those bits to the hard drive, um, but but the I.O. layer wasn't telling the operating system that those bits didn't get written. So SQL Server is just like, oh, what? You know, it expects that those um, if bits If you tell are the disk written. driver to write to disk, you expect that disk to, <laughs> disk to get written. Exactly. I know. It's it's quite an interesting. Uh, but but it, it ended up causing a, an in, interesting problem with some data loss, and it was a slow data leak over like six months. Oh. Um, yeah. So that was – it was – we had to take it down um, – and it actually did affect some of our releases. But, I mean, just to be clear, this was absolutely not TFS's fault at all. Um, it's because you were, you were hammering a database. It could have been any it, database instance. It happened to be your TFS database instance you were hammering. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and it was really our fault. Um, our, our, our IT department internally was, was leveraging virtualization just like uh, everyone else is um, trying to save on costs. But we didn't really give it the love that we needed to. Um, uh, but we 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 reported it to Microsoft and opened a support case, and I was really impressed during that time. It, it ended up taking a whole week um, to go back through all of our old backups and try to you know recover data. And um, Chandra was one of the people working with us. He's oh, on the, the version control team, and right. yep, he's. He's the da- database developer, and yeah. he's working with us closely, like building custom tools to to take stuff from the AT cache and putting it back in the database. He's a legend, that guy. He's, he's not the cleverest guy in the world. Super smart man, and um, I feel really bad because uh, I think he was needing he was needed to work on some feature crew work at the time, and you know it it it's it's tough to be the guy you know the the company that has that kind of problem, you know, and it's um, but. The, the moral of the story is that, um, you know, the, the product group, even though they didn't have to support us because we were on VMware and, and that wasn't supported at the time, they really did spend the, a lot of time. I can't even tell you how much time um, Trevor and, and Mario and, and Chandra spent with us to try to get us up and running again. Um, I, it, was, it was really one of those things. We did a retrospective after that whole disaster. Um, and... You know, people were really mad. This is this is at a time where you know it's tough to explain to people that you know it wasn't TFS's fault; it was actually something else. Um, but it, the perception is that we had this disaster with TFS, um, and so that was tough internally. But during our retrospective, one of those things that that made us eventually say, you know, team system is still perfect for us. You know, it's still is still the right solution. Is that the amount of time that the team system team actually like spent in helping us do that. So, I mean, that team is, I, I just love, I love the team system team. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's they, MVPs as well. They're just, you know, we see, we can, we get to compare that team with other teams in Microsoft and they're just, you know, incredibly supportive and listen to their customers hugely. So 
Absolutely. And I, I really, I mean, you just mentioned that we can really tell the difference between that team and, and the other product teams at Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another moral of that story seems to be as well, make sure if you're virtualizing stuff, you know, it's no excuse for, you, know, you can overdo virtualization, give, give the virtual machines the love they need, give them enough memory, give them enough disk. Absolutely. And, and one of those things that we figured out during this process is that um, TFS, for Infragistics, a software development company, TFS is our, I mean, I think it's even more important and mission critical than our exchange server. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is it is the one thing that um, you don't want to skimp out on. Uh, the one thing I notice is that people really don't give TFS the love and the hardware that it really needs um, to keep it up. But it right. deserves for being so enterprise absolutely. critical, you know? Yeah. I've got absolutely. this, like, half... I keep starting on this blog post, which I never write, but I've got this half, <laughs> like, theory in my head about... Um, just about TFS needs... The problem is it's run by IT, it's run by the development shops in a lot of organizations, not by IT. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. TFS is owned by the developers, and they kind of don't want the IT guys in because they're the guys that, like, force them not to have admin rights on the desktop and, you know, don't let them uh, check in the crazy store procedures into the database that they want to check in and, you know, all these sorts of things. There's always a fight between dev and IT in a lot of <laughs> Exactly. And the honestly- problem is TFS needs the kind of love that IT people give running systems and that developers are rubbish at. Exactly. So, uh, you know, honestly, um, we one of the success um, points at Infrogistics about our TFS instance is that we've created this relationship between my team um, and the IT department where we've kind of split the responsibilities, um, where our team handles all the configuration of, of TFS and we actually install the you know, the, the, the service packs and things like that for TFS itself. And we manage all that whole aspect of it. But IT department manages the hardware, you know, the OS service packs and keeping things backed up and mo- monitoring, you know, I.O. And mm. that you've got, but you've got a good level of trust between the two of you. So that's, that's... absolutely. And, and I feel like um, mm. I, I know Grant was just on the show, um, yeah. but it's basically the same similar relationship. Like Grant's team is, is synonymous with with my team. Um, at Infragistics. So okay. it, it really works out for this kind of environment because IT people won't really understand, you know, the, the software development process and things like that. That's, that's really for, you know, that's, that's information that, you know, the development groups really do know and they can yeah, figure and, and plus, you know, you know how small your maintenance window is, you know what I mean? Whereas the IT person might assume it's fine to take a server offline <laughs> at night, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So I, I feel like that's been one of our successful points is, is the interaction between um, IT and then setting setting those ex, um, those expectations. So like uh, even with disaster recovery, we um, they have certain responsibilities and we have certain responsibilities during that time. So okay. setting those up has been really successful. Hey, we've been going. It's been a long one, this one, but it's been it's been interesting so far. So I hope everybody's still with us. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was. Um, Again, I know I know of you from the MVP list, so I know you've been actively looking at uh, some of the 2010 features. Oh, yes. Yeah, you're excited about in Team System 2010. I'm so excited about 2010. <laughs> um, so some of the big things, I guess, uh, that we're going to love is um, we've got a, uh, we maintain multiple releases um, at a time. So, like, we're working on 2009 Volume 2, but at the same time, we're doing service packs and service releases for 
2001, 2003, 2002, 2001. So the, our branching structure is a little bit, um, <laughs> it gets a little bit complex at times. Um, but it, all the branch visualization stuff is going to be really awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, the new workflow-based build system, that's going to be super for us, especially with build pooling. Since we have so many build servers, um, it'll be really nice to parallel or, well, um, do different uh uh, things at the same time during the build on different build agents, and that'll be really nice. I imagine some of the tagging functionality as well. You know, you were saying you have like beta builds of Silverlight three and stuff. Being able to tag a build agent as this is oh, the one with the beta of Silverlight three, that'd be useful. Absolutely. So, so being able to say, you know, this part of the build needs to run on a build agent that has Silverlight three installed in it. Wow. You know, that'll be super for us. Um, Wit hierarchy is very important for us, especially we'd like to do better feature tracking. Um, so doing that traceability from feature tracking to the bugs and yeah. tasks, test cases. Uh, oh, test case management. We use Quality Center today, so I'm really excited about us being able to, to migrate from Quality Center to test case or to team system test case management. Um, and another huge one for us is going to be Team Lab, the lab management portion of, of uh, team system. That's going to be really big for us. And if anything, um, the one big feature I, I hope that we can save tons of time on is um, at the end of the build process, being able to set up a VM with that nightly build already installed in it and ready for QA in the morning so that they already have a library image with it already installed. They're spending lots of time every day just uninstalling and reinstalling. And it's a huge time waster. But, I, I mean, if there's one feature, there's a whole bunch of other things like being able to create actionable bugs with the lab image link in it and things like that that are going to be really nice. But um, if we can take one feature out of Team Lab, it's it's going to be that one that will save us a ton of I haven't even looked at the Team Lab stuff yet. It's just such a huge, you know, and I think we'll get a lot of use out of it as well here at Team Prize, but it's such a such a huge release 2010. It's like, <laughs> I don't know where to start I, half the time. I know. I, I actually spent some time um, in December in Redmond um, working on, uh, oh, the, releasing the Microsoft process. Oh, yeah. We should talk about that and provide a link. Yeah. To it. It's uh, it's it's um, the process template um, that Microsoft has developed to track how they do releases internally. And So Mike, no- Grant mentioned it in, in the last episode. You won't have heard that yet. Oh. Good. Yeah, the process template and explain that that's the one that they're using and rolling out as part of like some power build or something like that. So yes, exactly. What did so, you do? Explain what you did with that. So um, they have a lot of internal um, stuff in that in that process template. So basically, what I did for that week was was trim it down and scrub it down and take all of the internal like the internal links to to documentation and stuff like that and just packaged it for public release. Um, and by no means do I suggest that people actually take the process template and, and work from it because a lot of teams are not going to be as huge as Microsoft is, <laughs> which that's what that process template was designed for. But there's some things that you can learn from, from the process template. Like if you're, if you're stuck using 2005 and 2008 and you won't be able to uh, migrate to 2010, um, it does a really good job about simulating work item hierarchy inside of it from a reporting standpoint and from roll-up and, and that kind of logic. Um, it does a, you can learn some things from how how Microsoft um, plans their releases and that kind of stuff. So that's really what it was for. So I mean, just to get it straight, so people often ask me what it takes to be, and you know, what what do I need to do to be an MVP? And it, here is a guy that took a week of his own time, of his own vacation holiday, to package yeah. up the Microsoft process template and make it open source and fight all the internal fights you had to fight to get it actually open sourced. 
Yeah, yeah, that was, and you know, <laughs> it was well worth it. It was well worth it. Um, I had been thinking about it for quite a bit of time, and I was like, you know, this is an important resource for people to be able to learn from. Um, and it was like, you know what? I'm just going to have to take a week of vacation and go up there and get it done myself. And so you're you're right. You have to you have to use all your um, your connections internally to fight those battles of getting it out. And 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 we ended up getting it out. And it's a, it's a great release, and people have really learned some stuff from it. So cool. I'm really happy to have been able to do that. <laughs> well, I think it's about time to wrap up. We're coming up on the hour mark. This is going to be a double length episode. So uh, yeah. is there anything you want to fin- want to point people to before we finish up? Yeah. So um, I, I'm going to be doing some uh, user group presentations and um, hopefully some tech, my tech and talks will be uh, for Europe and Australia and New Zealand um, about this topic. So if, if you want to learn a little bit more uh Feel free to send questions along uh, radiotfs at gmail.com or um, to my blog, which is edsquare.com. Um, and I'll be sure I'll, I'll get those in, into those presentations and everything. So Cool. Well, thanks very much for spending the time sitting down and chatting with me. It was, it was a good chat. Hopefully everybody enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. So I really enjoy it. You've got had great people on the show before. So um, I, I feel really privileged to have been part of the show today. Thank you, and thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you next time on Radio TFS.